Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Happy Sunday, the last Sunday of 2023. I can't believe it. Today's lessons from 2023. I'm going to kick this thing off. We got a lot of great teachings. My little teaching to be titled, Ring the Bell. Ring the Bell. <clears throat> and all that simply means I want to talk about prayer today. And here's the thing. Uh, for the last, gosh, season of my life, I've been somewhat obsessed with studying the early church, just um, how they practice. Because I, I think you want the power of the early church, you need to practice what the early church practiced. And, and there's one thing I found out here was the early church believed the world was kept from flying into chaos by the prayers of the church. They thought that their prayers were directly connected to the order of culture, uh, how culture would be blessed, um, how their city would be blessed. It was by the, their prayers. And I want to encourage you real quick. Your prayers affects everything. And also, your lack of praying affects everything. Um, here's what I know. Every giant in the faith that I've ever met, every great church, every great movement, every great giant, one thing that they have is prayer as an engine, not a side dish. And so today's teaching, I just want it to be a, uh, something maybe that's maybe been a side dish in your life, become the engine of your life. Uh, I love what Charles Spurgeon said this, one of the giants in the faith. He said, I would rather teach one man to pray than teach uh, 10 men to preach. Simply put, all he's saying is this, is that, hey, 10 sermons doesn't change the world like 10 people praying changes the world. And I believe that. I think sermons are great. I think other things are great. But I think when you get the church praying, when you get your family praying, when you start praying, it starts changing everything. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read you a chapter from Luke 1 that has profoundly impacted the way that I pray. Um, I've been holding on to this one uh, for a little while uh, because I, I want to make sure that I shared it on this day so you could start 2024 off with, with your heart stirred up, just really how important prayer is. Here's what it says in Luke 1. It's a famous uh, story. It's actually kind of a Christmas story to an extent, but today I want, to, I want you to see it as a prayer story. Uh, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to a priestly division of Abijah. Uh, his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous uh, in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by a lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all assembled and worshiped uh, were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him st uh, standing at the right side of the altar in the incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. I love that. He goes, your prayer has been heard. He goes, don't be afraid. Be encouraged. Your prayer has been heard. Not your religious acts have been seen. Not your impressive sermons have been seen. No, your prayers have been heard. And can I encourage you real quick? Your prayers have been heard. He doesn't even say they have been answered. He's saying, I want to encourage you. They've been heard. Um, I, um, I, I love what uh, uh, Spurgeon says about uh, prayer is like pulling the bell, uh, uh, the ring bell of heaven. Um, I want to read it to you. Prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so, uh, um, so lackadaisically. Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope and boldly uh, pulls it continuously with all his might. 
Right there, uh, Spurgeon gives us a picture of what prayer is in heaven. It's like pulling the, the rope from above and just pulling down on, on that rope and ringing a bell of prayer saying, would you revive the Bay Area? Would you bless my family? Would you use me, God? I wanna encourage you when you're praying, picture that real quick, that you're actually ringing a bell in heaven. Um, and I wanna show you that, 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 that your prayers are being heard in heaven. Not only Luke 1 does it show that, but shows in Acts 10. I wanna just read this to piggyback on that thought. Acts 10 says this. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman uh, army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man. It was everyone in his household, uh, as, as everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Uh, Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? Every single time people see an angel, they're afraid. I always think that's funny. Uh, um, and the angel replied, your prayers and gifts of the poor have been received by God as an offering. Just think about that real quick. Think about that real quick. That he said, hey, your prayers, they've been received. So when you pray, they're going somewhere, but they're not just going anywhere, they're going to heaven. So I wanna encourage you, ring the bell in 2024. Uh, pray like you've never have prayed before and know when you're praying, they're not just going somewhere, they're going to the throne room. And this one, it shows that they're like incense. It's like almost putting more logs on the fire. Can I encourage you, put more logs on the fire in 2024. Now that's the, that's the prayer content of the text. I wanna give you some bonus content because when I study scripture, I just, I can't leave this out. So this isn't even about prayer. You're just gonna get two bonus things because that's how I roll. Okay, here we go, here's the bonus things. Um, uh, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. Do you hear what they said right there? Over and over again, God is preparing and declaring great things that are gonna happen. Can I encourage you real quick? You may be in a season where great things aren't happening, great things doesn't, uh, don't look like they're on the horizon, but right here in scripture shows us God is preparing and declaring great things are going to happen. I wanna encourage you, God is preparing and declaring for your life, great things are gonna happen. Go on, uh, it goes on to say, Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure these great things are gonna happen? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been uh, sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not be able to speak <clears throat> until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Can I tell you real quick, your lack of vision, your lack of faith, your lack of passion, it doesn't stop God, it just stops you. Faith looks at nothing and says there's something, but fear looks at something and says there's nothing. There's nothing. I want to encourage you real quick. You have to decide uh, what kind of house you're going to have, what kind of a home culture you're going to have, what kind of life you're going to live. Because um, every time you receive something, it's always a test. He was blessed with a, a, a word of encouragement, and then the test was faith. Sometimes you're going to be blessed with a job, and the test will be gratitude. Sometimes you'll be blessed with money, and the test will be stewardship. And right here, I just I, I want to encourage you. You got to look at your house this year. Look at your life this year and just say, what kind of culture am I going to have in my life? What kind of culture am I going to have in my home? Um, when I was a, a young high schooler, I worked at Walmart McDonald's. Okay, yes, yes, I'm proud of it. You've heard me talk about it. But Walmart McDonald's uh, is the lowest of the low when it comes to like culture. Um, there is literally like memes and Instagram handles on just Walmart people because when people would come to Walmart, they would wear their pajamas and Crocs to go shopping. They'd walk in and order food for me and I'd be like, did you just roll 
roll out of bed? Like you didn't even like, they didn't do their hair. Like they're still wearing their pajamas. I'm like, there's no other place you can feel comfortable and feel welcomed wearing your pajamas and not doing your hair like at Walmart. Walmart's almost like, come just as you are a little too much. Um, and the reason why I say that is I could never picture somebody going to Ruth Chris wearing their pajamas and not doing their hair. Well, can I encourage you real quick? Uh, our house, our church house, our house is gonna be a house of faith. I, I don't want you coming here with, with hopelessness. I want you coming here with hope. And I've declared that my house is gonna be a house of prayer. My home is gonna be a house of faith, that when God says something, I'm gonna believe it. That when I don't see it, I'm still believing because hope is what my anchor is. And so as you have, uh, have this next year, you gotta decide like, what's my home gonna be? Are we gonna be a house where we're always worried and stressed out? Uh, or are we gonna be a house that always is celebrating what God is about to do and what he has done? I'm gonna encourage you real quick, they do studies. Complaining is contagious, but also celebrating is contagious. Man, I wanna be a contagious Christian in all the right ways. So that's my bonus content. Okay, now back to prayer, back to prayer, back to prayer. Um, <clears throat> uh, there's two things I'm gonna do. I wanna challenge you, and then I wanna leave you with like um, a concluding thought of just trust. So here's my challenge to you as your pastor for 2024. Uh, the first one is this, pray every day in 2024. Pray every day. Stats show only half of Christians pray daily. Only half pray daily. I don't, I don't know about you, but like, you don't even have to pray like, pray like for a long time to pray daily, but only half. So I wanna encourage you to pray every day. Become a pray first Christian. Um, uh, prayer is often the spare tire for Christians, not the engine. Here's what I mean by that. A, a prayer for a lot of Christians happens when, when the car breaks down, then they pray. Uh, when something breaks down, then they pray. So they made prayer a spare tire instead of the engine of their life. Another way to say it is prayer isn't the steering wheel of their life. It's just something that's a side dish. Make prayer the steering wheel. Make it the engine of your life. Another way I wrote it is many people pray as if God were a big Advil pill. They come only when they are hurt. Don't turn prayer into an Advil pill to fix only when there's pain. Man, become a prayer first Christian. Pray always, pray, pray continually, pray every day. Pray about the little things, pray about the big things. But if you're gonna go to work, pray first. If you're gonna go uh, hang out uh, with some friends, pray first. If you're gonna go make a big decision, pray first. If you're gonna go on a date, pray first. Keep praying, but pray first and see what happens in your life. So become a prayer first Christian in 2024 and pray daily. Second thing I wanna encourage you is pray with an aim. <clears throat> Don't pray aimlessly, but actually have an aim. And what I love about the Lord is he sets us up to win when it comes to prayer. Uh, the disciples ask, how should we pray? And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. And what's fascinating, if you actually break the Lord's Prayer down, it has four different aims in the prayer. It has praying up, it has praying out, it has praying in, and then it has praying forward. I want to show it to you real quick. So as you pray uh, in 2024, I want you to pray up. Here's what, what we see in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First thing you do when you start praying is you start praying up. You start praising God. You start uh, magnifying the name of God. So the first part of prayer should always be just magnifying who God is. Uh, warriors know how to magnify problems. Worshippers know how to magnify God. And so when you start to pray, start praying up to God. God, you are good. You are great. Start praying up, up, up. And then after you're done praying up, uh, it shows us in the scripture, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as you pray up, it moves into praying out. As you start saying, God, would you would your kingdom come and your will be done out in this world? You start actually start praying out. Something about this prayer too is when you start praying for God's kingdom to come, something has to happen. You start actually have to have your kingdom go. And there's just something sweet about that. You, you throw your kingdom out and you throw his kingdom in. So, so start praying out. Another way you aim is you pray in. Give us today our daily bread. There are things your soul needs that you cannot get from this world. And prayer leader, you're starting to pray those things into your soul. You're starting to pray those things in your life. He goes, not only that, forgive us of our debts and also forgive us of our debtors. You're starting to do some heart surgery in your prayer. You're saying, God, I forgive. You start releasing things of your inward stuff. So, so you start praying in. So I wanna encourage you, pray up, pray out, pray in. And last but not least, pray forward. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's just something about saying, hey, God, would you lead me today? 
Would you lead me today? Would you lead me to life-forgiving things? You know that you're, when you're saying uh, th- this prayer, you're saying, God, I understand that I'm not leading myself. I'm going to move forward today. But the reason why I'm moving forward is you're the one guiding my steps. So I want to encourage you, pray with an aim this season. And the last but not least, pray with passion. Pray with passion. James 5, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Right there, it says that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Uh, that word fervent is uh, the Greek word uh, energio. It would get the word energy from it. And so basically it says, the one that prays with passion, for some reason, when they pray with passion, it actually succeeds much. And so throughout the Bible, I could have literally given you 10, I'm just giving you four. Over and over again, the ones that pray with fervent passion, the ones that literally knock the arrows, change their circumstance, change themselves, and change the world. Hannah, when she's praying for a kid, she is weeping and praying so much that people thought something was wrong with her. I want to pray that kind of passion sometimes. Say, are you good, man? Yeah, I'm good. I'm just praying with passion today. Uh, second thing is you see the persistent widow. Jesus says he teaches his disciples how to pray that they should never give up. And he shows a parable about a persistent widow that keeps crying out for justice, keeps crying out uh, for provision. So I want to uh, encourage you, uh, be like the persistent widow. Elijah, my favorite story in the Old Testament about prayer, is he tells the king to knock the arrows and he barely knocks them and therefore he doesn't have victory. So I look at prayer all the time as just passionate prayer of knocking the arrows. But the way I'm picturing now is ringing the bell of heaven, like grabbing the rope and ringing the bell and just praying over and over again and ringing that bell in heaven. is like, and and in heaven, I I sometimes picture uh, them going like, is that Tyler ringing the bell again? Man, he always be ringing that bell. And then the ring bell, he rings the bell. Uh, and then number uh, the, the fourth one I have is uh, Acts 12, Peter's in prison, and it says the church prayed earnestly. And when they prayed earnestly, uh, we find out that the, the church's prayers are more powerful than Herod's prison in Acts 12. And so I, I just want to encourage you, uh, just don't be somebody who just prays just like lackadaisical prayers. Start praying with passion, energy, with energy and passion, because those kind of prayers, they avail much. So here's my conclusion. Uh, you're gonna start praying. I, I, I believe that. I believe this. This message God started stirring you up right now. You even it's probably like, wow, like only half of Christians only pray daily, and now you're going. I'm, I'm gonna be one of those Christians that pray all the time. I'm, I'm okay. So it's always excited when you start the journey of praying. But what happens when you start praying and things don't go exactly how you thought they would? And this is why I wanted to finish with this thought. I want to encourage you as you start praying to God to trust Him with everything. Trust Him with open doors and shut doors. Acts 16 is this fascinating uh, story in the Bible. It's one of my favorite uh, chapters in all of Acts. It's where the gospel goes forth to Europe for the very first time. It's the very first uh, church plant in Philippi. The very first convert is Lydia. I mean, it is one of the greatest stories in all of church history. And did you know it was all birthed out of closed doors? It was all birthed out of Paul wanting to go somewhere else and being disappointed having to go somewhere else. I want to read you in Acts 16 uh, what it shows us. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. So, so Paul wanted to go to East Asia instead of Europe. So he's going there and said the Holy Spirit prevented him, stopped him. Uh, other translation, it closed the door. Uh, then coming to the borders of uh, uh, Mesia, they headed north for the province of uh, Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mesia to the seaport of Troas. In Acts 16, you see that both times they're trying to go this way, and the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 I'm going to stop you. And I can just tell you real quick, if you can't pray it open, don't try to pry the door open. If you can't pray it open, don't pry it open. And and what I mean by that is, is Paul, I I found this fascinating, I think I wrote it down. Uh, 
It is comforting for me to know that even the apostles were not always clear as to God's will for their ministry. That they would uh, pray about it, that they would think this is where they're supposed to go. And God is so kind in his sovereignty, so kind in his providence, that literally he blocks the door twice and says, no, 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 I don't want you to go to Eastern Asia right now. I want you to go to Europe and plant the first church, and I have a, uh, an anointed plan for you to go there. And so when you start praying, I want you to know something real quick. God opens doors that no man can shut, and he shuts doors that no man can open, even you. And so when I start praying now for my life and for our church, I'm like, Lord, open the door wide open. Make it wide open and I'll walk through it. But God, if it's shut, I'm not going to try to pry it open because if I couldn't pray it open, I know it's a door you don't want me to go. And there's a great story the other direction in my life. And so when I think of uh, my life, I think of your life this next season, you're going to start walking forward and say, this is what I want for my life. I want this job, or I want this relationship, or I want this provision, or I want this building, or I want this home. And as you start praying for things, and when you hit a shut door, can I encourage you, trust God and go, okay, if, if this is shut, that means there's a great story this way. And sometimes we think the great story is that way, but no, 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 God knows how to shut the right door and have a great story come this way. Can you imagine if uh, Paul um, and, and Timothy would have never went to uh, um, uh, Philippi? Like, what would Europe look like? Again, God knows best. And so as you uh, enter this next, uh, next year, I just wanna encourage you real quick, uh, ring the bell. Ring the bell like you never have before in 2024. Ring it like you've never rung it before. Pray about everything. Pray first. Pray with passion. Um, I uh, I started um, uh, my prayer time differently when I came back from a sabbatical two years ago, and it has changed my life dramatically. Like I said, every great person I ever met, I knew prayer was not a side dish. It was the engine of their life. And can I encourage you? Nothing's changed my life more than prayer. Nothing. Nothing will change your life more than prayer. We have team prayer on Wednesdays. Uh, I think there's something powerful about the church gathering and praying. I want to encourage you to come out to our team prayer on Wednesdays. It's one of those powerful things. But I don't like coming to team prayer on Wednesday. Pray every day. Can I pray for you real quick? God, I thank you. I thank you for our church. I thank you for our people. And God, I believe that you're raising up a prayer army. Uh, I believe that you're raising up an army that is going to ring the bell in heaven like never before. God, we're going to ring the bell to ask you to revive the Bay Area. God, that, 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 that the lost would come to know you, that sleepy Christians would wake up, and that our city would become better and brighter. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We love you. Mission Church, I love you. Have the best day. I'll see you next Sunday. Happy New Year, Mission Church. It is such a privilege to get to share with you this morning. The title of my lessons from 2023 is a question that has profoundly shaped this last year for me. My title is, Where Are Those Who Will Linger? Where Are Those Who Will Linger? And I'm going to be reading today from the text, Exodus 33, 11. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. I don't know about you, but I've always been a better doer than a beer. And I know beer isn't a word, but bear with me. I, if I'm not careful, I find uh, rest in doing, as weird as that sounds. I find worth in doing. I find value in doing. Uh, sometimes as a bit of a people pleaser, I find that people like me more when I'm doing things. I have a really hard time just resting. In fact, when I rest, sometimes I have this sense of like, oh, I, I gotta keep moving because I'm, I'm being lazy. I gotta do something. And so I really fall into this trap of just doing, 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 doing instead of being. And I'm sure a lot of people resonate with that. I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, I used to work in corporate 
And when I really started falling in love with the Lord and with the church, I sort of had this like romanticized idea that when I became a pastor and I was just doing things for the Lord all day that I would feel just so close to Jesus. And the reality is, that's actually not true at all. In fact, Jesus himself is very clear about those who confuse doing things for him with actually knowing him. He says in Matthew 7, 22, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Many performed miracles, or uh, we perform many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. So as a pastor, there's things that I might be publicly doing that might make you say, wow, she looks like she might really have it together. But Jesus himself might actually be looking at my life and may say just the opposite. Might say that I actually completely missed the mark. This word that Jesus uses when he says, I never knew you, knew, the Greek word is gnosko, and it means to know, to understand, to know by observation, to know by reflection. And it's actually the same word used when Adam knew his wife and birthed children. It's intimate. So now I go back to this verse about Moses and Joshua in the tent of meeting. And quick, quick, quick background. Moses, Joshua, and the Israelites left Egypt. They've been journeying towards the promised land now for about a year. And this moment is happening long before the temple was built, before the tabernacle was built. Moses would set up this tent of meeting with the Lord outside of the camp. And this is a temporary structure that he would go out to meet with God in. I look at Moses and I look at Joshua and I try to figure out, you know, is there anything exceptional about them? Is there anything that would suggest greatness in them? You know, Moses by faith stands up to Pharaoh and performs all these miracles and endures decades of being grumbled against in the desert by this unruly group of people. And Joshua successfully leads the people into the promised land and wins battle after battle after battle. And is there anything about them that would suggest that there was this greatness in them? Not really, if you look in scripture. In fact, Moses kind of has a temper. He's a bit of a coward when he starts out. He doesn't speak well or eloquently. In fact, he stammers. What sets these people apart? And if you look at scripture, both of their lives were marked by lingering in the presence of God. So what happens when we linger in the presence of the Lord? Scripture says God shares his plans and his blueprints with you. If you read Exodus 26 through 31, God gives Moses the exact plans that he wants for his tabernacle, down to the specifics of inches and feet and materials to be used. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your family. He has a plan for the city that you live in. He has a plan for our church. He has a plan for this region. And I want to know what that plan is so that I can enter into what he's doing in the earth. We get that blueprint and that plan when we linger in his presence. Another thing that happens when you linger, your perspective changes. In Numbers 13, Moses sends out 12 scouts to explore the promised land and bring back word about it. Ten of the scouts bring back word that, yes, the land is indeed plentiful, but the people there are way too powerful for us to conquer. They instill fear and doubt in the hearts of the people. 
Only Joshua and Caleb, only two of the 10 come back and say, yes, the land is plentiful. Yes, the people that live there are fearsome, but God said he was gonna give it to us, so he's gonna give it to us. We should go for it. What made the perspective of these two men so bold, so fearless, so courageous? God changes the perspective of those who linger with him. What else happens when we linger? Scripture says God shares his secrets with us. Psalm 25, 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Another translation says he shares his secrets with those who fear him. So you'll be reading through the word and things that were previously hidden from you, God is now gonna make plain to you. You'll read through scripture and you'll see, oh, this is how hope is found. Oh, this is what an abundant life looks like. This is how to get to it. Oh, this is what joy overflowing looks like. Oh, this is what peace that passes understanding looks like. You're, you're gonna now understand things that were previously hidden from you as you linger in God's presence. Finally, what do you get when you linger? You get the presence of God himself. We know that God is everywhere, he's omnipresent, but there's many moments in scripture where God's presence is described as God's face, meaning it's possible to be face to face with him, just as Moses was in Exodus 33, where it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now, the health of my relationship with my husband, Tyler, it's not enough just to know that Tyler exists in the world or that even Tyler's down the street from me or even that he's just in the other room over there right now. It's not enough for me to text him or email him or call him. The health of our relationship really depends on Tyler and I carving out moments where we are face to face, where we are unfiltered, where time is unscheduled, where we are hearing each other's hearts. The health of our relationship depends on that. And when we don't do that for a, a, a time when we allow too much time to pass without those moments of face-to-face, -face, the health of our relationship starts to decline. And I don't know why we would think that would be any different with our relationship with the Lord. God is looking for face-to-face, -face, personal, intimate relationship with you. And you know what's really special? Even Moses didn't have complete access to God. When he asked God in Exodus 33, show me your glory, God hid him in a rock as he passed by so that he couldn't see the full weight of God's glory and goodness. He saw the backside of it as he passed. But when Jesus dies, scripture says the temple veil that separated the Holy of Holies where the priests would meet with God from the rest of us, that was ripped in two. Meaning, when Jesus died, we now have full and complete access to God himself. Nothing stands between us. J. Oswald Saunders says, every one of us is as close to God as he has chosen to be. So in 2024, will you join me? This is a challenge to myself and it's a challenge to you. Would you join me in being a people who linger in God's presence? I love you, Mission Church. Good morning, Mission Church, and a Happy New Year. I hope it's been such a wonderful Christmas season for you and your family. This morning, I wanted to share a verse that has anchored me this year, and that's Ezekiel 2020. And keep my Sabbath holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. 
God is not just gifting us a day off here, but he's gifting us the ability to rest in him, to set apart the Sabbath because the Sabbath is a sign of God's goodness towards humanity. Within this year, I truly believe the Lord has reminded me of the value and blessing of Sabbath and true rest. It's a day with no to-do lists, no agenda, our chores are done, our work is finished. It's a day not to feel guilty of what needs to be done, but simply saying the work is done. Let's stop and be satisfied in God. It's a day where my attention is given to the Lord and my loved ones. As followers of Jesus, we are called to Sabbath, to stop each week and delight in the holiness of the Lord. When I think about the word delight and how it looks with my family, I instantly think about my three-year-old Ezra, his little face when it lights up on our Sabbath, the moment we order his baby Chino at the counter of our favorite coffee shop, the smile he carries throughout the day. It's simply priceless and delightful. I think about our afternoon naps and saying yes to delicious food and local hikes and breathing in fresh air. I think about uninterrupted, unrushed time with my husband and two little boys and the open calendar of invitation from friends and from family. Sabbath isn't just stopping, but it's delighting in the goodness of the Lord and basking in that goodness and his creation. It's the gift we receive from the preparation of the work we do throughout the week. My husband and I have been practicing Sabbath for a few years now, and it wasn't until this past year where we truly felt transformed with God and with each other. Sabbath for my family and I, it's having a feast of a dinner the night before. It's my husband praying over our little ones and lighting a candle that symbolizes that we are laying our work down to enjoy time together and with Jesus. The next morning, we'll wake up and we'll lean into time as a family. We'll grab coffee and for our boys, baby chinos, and we take a neighborhood walk and we bask in Jesus's creation. We'll order takeout, we adventure, we play, and we turn off the noise that is within our devices, within our devices, and we give our full attention to the little humans we call our sons. And we are by far not perfect at Sabbath by any means but we are imperfect vessels pushing towards the holiness of stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping in the hours we Sabbath with Jesus. So today, I wanna to encourage you that as you prepare your heart for this upcoming year and you put in place the new, many new rhythms you hope to follow, to consider what building Sabbath into your weekly rhythm could look like. What could it look like for you to stop, to rest, to delight, and worship in the presence of the Lord. Love you, Mission Church, and Happy New Year. Good morning, Mission Church. I hope you're all having an amazing Christmas time with family and friends. It's so good to be with you this morning, even if we're online. Something that has really shaped my year in 2023 was born out of two little words I came across one day, just in my morning Bible reading, my time with Jesus, and it's in the book of Hebrews. And those two words are, consider Jesus. The whole message in the book of Hebrews is to run your ways well, consider Jesus. To make it through trials, consider Jesus. To find fulfillment and joy and purpose, consider Jesus. To consider is to contemplate, to look at thoughtfully for a long time, over and over and over. Growing up as a kid, I had an amazing capacity to watch the same movie over and over and over. Whatever current movie I was into, I could watch it a thousand times before I got tired of it. 
And I know kids do that, that's a normal kid thing, but I feel like I took it to a weird obsessive level uh, to the point where if you name a year, I could tell you what the movie obsession was for that year. And this is where it gets really weird. I had to have a specific snack I would eat with each movie. I have no idea why that is. So in 1988, I watched Sleeping Beauty every single day. And I always ate, remember the little cheeses wrapped in the red wax? I had to have that with Sleeping Beauty. In 94, it was Rescuers Down Under and Pizza Bagel Bites. And when I say every day, I mean every day. I think my parents got a little concerned. Then there was the summer where my mom had to step in and have an intervention because I had just gotten my driver's permit, already dangerous, and I was picking up Taco Bell every day to come home and eat while watching Independence Day for a whole summer. Now my son, Grayson, does the exact same thing. And it really doesn't make sense why we watch something again and again when we already know what happens, but I think we're just creatures designed for repetition. Like we forget easily. I had seen Independence Day a hundred times, but each time something inside me would say, is Will Smith really gonna defeat the aliens again? And then just the pure joy when, yes, in fact, he did defeat the aliens again. And here in Hebrews, we're literally invited to do that very thing. All throughout the book of Hebrews, Paul says, consider Jesus. In Hebrews 12, 3, he makes this amazing promise. Consider Jesus so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. It's an invitation to come and watch, to look at him often, to contemplate him over and over. I think one of the traps we can fall into as believers is a lot more doing than considering. And when those scales are tipped and we're spending so much more time doing, 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 and just a little bit of time considering, we start doing things in our own strength. Things get out of order. We get weary. We get bitter. We can even burn out. And Paul's inviting us into this rhythm of looking and then doing, so we will not grow weary and faint-hearted. It's also Jesus' rhythm. All throughout the Gospels, he had his disciples watch him and spend time with him before they did anything. His first invitation, follow me. He was inviting them to come and watch. Watch me interact with people. Watch me do what I do. And the result of the disciples watching and considering for three years was that they changed the world. There's something transformative in just watching Jesus do what he did. His first invitation to us isn't just go and do, it's first come and see. And I think as believers, sometimes we can think we've graduated past the need to replay the story of Jesus over and over. We think, yeah, I know Jesus. This is not new information. Miracles, cross, empty tomb, got it. But Jesus says, blessed is the one who still knows how much he needs me. He says, come to me, I'll give you rest. Learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love how John Piper puts this. He says the Christian life is primarily a life of contemplation. It is more exceedingly necessary that we consider, fix our eyes on, and out of a deep consideration of Jesus over and over, we are being changed. If you try to do the Christian life without considering Jesus, it will be unlivable. That's a pretty extreme statement. And I think the easy yoke and the light burden of doing come when our first priority is looking and considering. And Jesus knows us. He knows our frame. He created us. He knows our struggles. He knows the weight of everything we face. He knows our heart. And he says, before you go and do, pull up a chair, come sit with me and watch. If you've been at our church for any length of time, you know how much Pastor Tyler encourages us to spend time in the Word because he knows the power that will have in our lives. 
And we believe the whole Bible is God-inspired, and we should read the entire thing. Don't get me wrong. But a practice that I've incorporated this year is just this daily considering of Jesus. And you might ask, what does that even look like? Jesus is throughout the whole Bible, shown in every book, but something just really simple that I've been adding to my day is just taking one event in the Gospels where I'm just watching Jesus do something, talk to someone, respond to something, and then look at it from every angle, read commentary on it, listen to a sermon about it. And my goal is to have it come alive in my heart and in my mind to experience it like I'm a kid again watching the movie. I know the story. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died and he rose. But every time I stop and look at it deeply again, there's something new every time, something that jumps off the page and changes me. I see Jesus, and that's the goal, that we would truly see Jesus and it would change us every day. I see how he interacts with people, how he deals with family dynamics, how he treats authority figures, how he responds to the difficult, to the broken. I see how he prays, how he faces betrayal, and how he deals with unbelievable pressure. Jesus faced more pressure than you or I will ever imagine. So Paul says, if you're under pressure, look at the one who faced the most and see how he did it. Let him be your teacher daily. Consider Jesus. If you're weary and faint-hearted, the answer is not just to do more, it's to consider more. Let Jesus fill your spirit up. If you don't already have a set time to spend with the Lord, this year I encourage you make that resolution more important than anything else in your day-to-day life. If you already do have that, that's amazing. And I want to encourage you to add considering Jesus throughout your day. Pete Scazzaro has an amazing book called The Daily Office, and it's based on a monastery practice of set time with God throughout your day. Because if you're like me, sometimes I spend time with Jesus in the morning, and then it's like, okay, that was my Jesus time. I'll see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. And this is just a great way to stop compartmentalizing your life and invite him into your entire day. For a while, I even would set alarms on my phone for pausing and taking a few minutes to just fix my eyes and consider Jesus. And the goal is not, oh great, another spiritual to-do I have to add to my list. It's not that. It's an invitation from God to come and watch, to take a deep breath, to stop and consider Him throughout the day. So that when I am working, when I am interacting with people, I'm still abiding in His presence. I'm still remaining in Him. As we launch into the new year, as we make resolutions and plans, I just want to encourage you to make this a priority this year. I know if you do, it will be as impactful to you as it's been to me. So I love you, Mission Church, and I can't wait to see you all next year. Good morning, Mission Church. I hope that you've had a wonderful Christmas with your families. I know we all say this this is the most wonderful time of the year, but over the last few years, I've actually learned that this time leading into New Year's and the beginning of January have become my favorite time of the year. We see that the world around us sets resolutions and goals and commit to their fitness and health, but I've taken over the last three years time in December and January and really invited the Lord. I sit with Him and I ask Him, what do you have for me this year? Is there a phrase? Is there a scripture? Maybe it's an intention and I wait and I listen for what He has for me. And so for my lesson from 2023, I'd like to share with you my intention the Lord gave me last January. And so early in the year, I felt like he put on Matthew 6, 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I sensed that the Lord was inviting me into a deeper intimacy with him. 
And so before I get to explaining what that looked like, I think it's important to know my why. Why was this my lesson I wanted to share? And I can't share my why of 2023 without taking you back to 2022. I think 2022 might have been my favorite year yet of my life. I paid off a huge amount of debt in my life, which felt amazing. The Lord really provided a way out for that for me. I left corporate America after 12 years and got to come work for undoubtedly the best church on the planet. And so I was entering 2023 off this amazing year. I'd been in ministry full time for about five months. and. I was honestly a little scared. After such an incredible year, would the Lord really have more for me the next year? And so I just wanna speak to that. If you're coming out of a really great season, there is a moment of pause that we take and we invite the Lord to say, do I believe what he says is true over my life? And so it didn't surprise me when the Lord put Matthew 6.33 on my heart of continue to seek, continue to believe that I am the one who will add things to your life. And so I can't talk about adding things to my life before taking stock of what our life really looks like. And we live in an age where information is at the tip of our fingertips. And so we are on social media all day long, and this gives us the illusion of intimacy. I know what all my friends had for breakfast, where they travel for vacation, what TV show they're watching, but I actually have no contact with them. And in the same way, I fear that we attend church, we go to mission groups, we might even read our Bibles every day, and we lack intimacy with the Lord. And so after a few months of sitting on Matthew 6.33, I felt the Lord invited me into John 17.3, where Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, and that my desire was actually turning towards knowing God. And the Bible describes this knowing with the Hebrew word yada and the Greek word gnosko. And this is a kind of knowledge that builds intimate relationship with a person. And we see Jesus choose gnosko to describe the intimacy between the father and the son, as well as the connection between himself and his sheep. So we are being, invite, we are being invited into a closeness with the Lord. How cool is that? That our creator, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings wants to know us like he knows Jesus. And so I realized I didn't need to know more about God, but I needed to know God more. It's a subtle difference. And let me be clear, we will always need to put importance on learning about God in a factual way, learning scripture, knowing his ways. But what I was craving was to know the one who knows me. And our desire to know God is a reflection of that knowledge of Him. So the more we know Him, the more we want to know Him. And so my posture had to change with the Lord. He wasn't just something on my to-do list, spend 15 minutes, read my Bible, pray daily. What I was desiring the Bible defines as knowledge gained by experience. And so in order to know God deeper, I had to experience God more. And so I wanted to share with you a few of the ways of how to know God that worked for me. One, this looked like setting aside unlimited time. This doesn't mean you have to spend hours and hours, but it means you give yourself space. Maybe this means you get up early and you have a few hours until your first commitment, or you start early in the evening without plans to get get to. And this is important. Just like when we spend time with friends, it's more enjoyable when there's room to ebb and flow through conversation. And secondly, God doesn't operate on our timeline. I'm sorry to tell you, if you give him five or 15 minutes every day or every few days, he really has so much more that he wants to say to you. And we need more time than we think. As task-oriented people, we want to sit down, we want to do the thing, and we want to move on. 
and we serve a God of linger. And nothing has benefited my life more than learning to linger with the Lord. And I found two encouragements. The first comes from Matthew 11, where it tells us to come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't do God any favors by coming to him with pretenses. If we can't show up authentically and honestly before the Lord, when can we? And you can come with your doubts and your questions. He, he wants all of you in those moments. And lastly, he wants you to come with faith. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so when you set time apart to be with the Lord, it is okay to have an expectation that he's going to show up. He is good on his word and he will meet you there. And as I was reflecting on desiring to know God, I had to acknowledge that there's a few reasons that we don't desire to know God. And the first goes back to Matthew 6.33, that we desire the things of this world more. That these things that Jesus is talking about, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? We could expand that to where will I work? Where should I live? Who should I marry? And trust me, God knows that you care about these things because he cares about these things. There are things in our life that prevent us from experiencing the presence of the Lord. Sin, bitterness, unforgiveness. Just like when we spend time with a friend, if there's been an offense, we can tell there's a little bit of tension in the air. The same is true with our time with the Lord. That's why we're called to confession. When we spend time with the Lord, start with confessing all the ways that you've fallen short, and it will breathe this space with the Lord of just such a sweet communion. And lastly, we don't believe that God wants to know us. And so I want to take us back to the garden to end our time today. I want to acknowledge that we do start from a position of distance. If we look at the garden in Genesis, we can see that when Adam and Eve sin, the first question God asks is, where are you? And Jackie Hill Perry says this, when God asks Adam, where are you? He isn't asking for a location. He knows everything. He's asking, why aren't you near? From the beginning, God has been asking and making room for the confession of sin. And this is the evidence of his everlasting love for us. And we have been hiding ourselves from the all-knowing God. I want you to believe today that God wants you near to him. So what have I learned from knowing God deeper this year? What Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, for I know, there's that yada word, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I know that God has good plans for my life. We must know him and experience him to see those good plans come true. Isaiah 49 tells us, then you will know, yada, that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame, that his promises over your life will come true. And finally, in 1 John 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows, gnosko, knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know, gnosko, God, because God is love. So our lives are a reflection of that knowledge of God. And to love one another, we must first know the love of God. And so I leave you with an invitation this morning to know God. Make space in your life to sit with the Lord. Invite him to speak to you, to reveal his plans for you, and be willing to obey when he does. And secondly, invite community in. Find a few friends, share what God is doing and speaking to you personally. 
We can so easily focus on what we're learning about God and forget that he wants to know us personally. Mission Church, I love you, and I pray that you all would know, gnosko know, that God loves you and has incredible plans for your life. Well, what's up, Mission Church? Uh, we're so glad that you're joining us today online. Um, my name is Joe Little. I'm the youth pastor here. So excited that I get to share with you this morning. Um, as I was processing what to share, uh, I've been really studying and really pro- really processing uh, the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and we've been talking about it with our students, and I've been studying it, and I just felt like it would just be um, so uh, appropriate to share that with you um, as we enter into this new year. Um, and I want you to right now think about and process your middle school or high school best friend, okay? Your middle school or high school best friend, the person who you hung out with every day, the person who you talked to every day, whether it was on the phone, whether it was texting that person, the person who you had your own secret language with, like you could say one word and they knew exactly what you meant, who you were talking about, um, or the person that if someone walked in the room and you made eye contact, you had a full conversation with your eyes. Um, what's interesting about that is the Bible actually tells us that iron sharpens iron, meaning that the more that I hang around someone, the more that I'm around them, the more that I actually begin to act like them, talk like them, and even process and think like them. And the reason why I share that is because as we talk about one of the fruits of the Spirit today, um, what I want you to really think about is that it is titled the fruit of the Spirit, uh, meaning that when we go through this list, and we're only going to talk about one today, what I want you to process is not that these are the things that you have to do in order to earn a relationship with God, but these are actually things that happen as a fruit of having a relationship with God. That as you hang around God, as you're with God, these are the things that happen in your life. And in Galatians 5.22, Paul's writing and he writes down this list of the fruit of the Spirit, which says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And today what I really want to process and talk about is kindness. Kindness, the definition of kindness as it would have been in the original language is um, this idea of that since God is kind towards sinners, we should be kind towards each other. Um, What's very interesting is that Jesus continuously showed kindness to the people around him. In John 17 even, there's this verse chapter in the Bible where Jesus is praying and he takes a moment and He begins to pray for future believers. He prays for you. He prays for me like in this. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. These are future believers he's praying for. And he says that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are as in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Look to the person next to you in your house and say, unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. A very well-known fact about me is that I am very, very competitive. Now, there are different levels of competition. Now, there are some of you who, right now, you're in your house and you don't have a competitive bone in your body. Like when you see people go all out to win a board game or to win a game or they're super into their team, you're like, I don't get it. And if I'm being honest, you don't. You don't get it and that's okay. There are people who are competitive in certain times, like maybe you're not usually competitive, but you can get there. 
you know who you are and you know what gets you there. But there's people who are like me that they will give their life to win anything. Like if me and you are walking to a door and I beat you to the door, you think I'm holding it open for you. That's not what's happening. That is me doing my victory lap because I beat you because we were racing and you didn't know it. I am super competitive. I remember I was coaching at a basketball camp this last year and I'm coaching these young kids, these kids who are in middle school, and they're playing hard, and we had done so well all throughout the camp. I was coaching these kids, and we're playing against other kids, and they're playing against other teams, and we're winning and winning and winning, and then we get to this game, and we start losing, and kids are frustrated, and kids are angry, and I cannot make this up. A kid looks to uh, one of his teammates, and he stops everything, and he says, hey, everyone, Make sure that we remember that when we came here, we came to have fun. And all of the kids were like, get out of here right now. You leave. We do not play to have fun. We play to win. We play to win. And what's interesting is that having different goals, right? Having these different objectives is fine in sports. That kid uh, maybe being less competitive than another kid is fine in sports. It's fine in some certain aspects of life. But when it gets very dangerous is when it comes to your relationship with God. You see, Jesus, as he's talking and as he's praying for future believers, he's praying for you and for me. He does not say, hey, may they know every single word of the Bible, even though Bible reading is important. He does not say, hey, may they never miss church attendance. Um, but what does he say? He says, may they be brought to complete unity. The one thing that he says, he says, hey, God, I'm going to pray this for our future believers. May they be brought to complete unity. The goal for the church is not that we would be divided, but the goal is that you and I would be brought together in complete unity. But isn't it funny how, even though that's the one thing that Jesus asks for us for believers, the one thing that he asks is, hey, be unified. Hey, be kind to each other. Isn't it interesting how Christians can sometimes still be some of the most divisive people? Like when I talk to people about why they're struggling with their faith, they're coming to church, uh, a lot of times they don't have a problem with Christ. Um, a lot of times they have a problem with Christians. Like it's never, you know, what? Christ is too loving. He's too kind. Mercies are new every morning. That's too frequent. Like, no, it's normally, hey, I talked to someone. I had a conversation with someone and they were mean or they weren't loving. But I love, even, even going to read it again, the definition of this word kindness and what the heart of it really is, is that since God is kind towards sinners, we should be kind towards each other. We should not treat others how they treat us, but we should treat others how God treats us. And what I love about God is that God forgives, God loves, God brings hope. The Bible even tells us in Romans what? That his kindness leads us to repentance, that it's his kindness that moves us, that it isn't his judgment, that it isn't the fact that he, that he could be a know-it-all or even though he actually knows it all. It isn't the fact that he just maybe judges or brings down the hammer, but what is it? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, leads us to change, and it makes us see his love for what it can be. And I love how this ends, and this is the last thing that I'm to say, but I love that it says, hey, when our believers are brought together in unity, when our believers are loving each other, when they're kind, when they're friendly to each other, when they're not gossiping about each other, we're not talking bad about each other, it says that then people will know that Jesus was sent by God. It says, hey, people will know that they are loved. People will know that they are cared for. And my main point for you today, the one thing that I want you to get out of this small talk is that the world will not know that you are a Christian because of what you know, but they will know you are a Christian because of how you treat them. 
They're gonna know you're a Christian because of how you treat them, how you talk to them, how you talk about them when they're not there. May we decide this year that, hey, Mission Church is going to be a kind church, that we're gonna be a church that loves people, that cares for people, that if people can say anything about our church, it's they're too kind, they're so nice, it's weird. Like, let's, let's let people say those things and let's love people well. I tell this to our students all the time, people will not remember what you do for them, but they will remember how you make them feel. People will not know that you are a Christian because of what you know, but they will know that you are a Christian because of how you treat them. So I'm going to pray, uh, and I hope you're having an amazing, fun time with us this Sunday, uh, and we cannot wait to gather back in person next week. God, we thank you uh, that you have called us to be kind, that you have called us to be loving. Um, I pray against just the plan of the enemy that wants to be divisive, um, that wants us to maybe even uh, look to the right or to the left and uh, be against people. God, may we not fight against people. May we fight for people. Uh, may people. May we be people's advocates. Uh, may we always expect the best of people uh, because you expect the best of us and you forgive us and you care for us. May we not treat people how they treat us. May we treat people how you treat us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Shane, and if we haven't met yet, I am the production pastor here at Mission Church, which means I oversee a lot of the technical stuff, right? The lights and the sound and, and those sorts of things. That um, also means I'm just always looking for, you know, things we can improve, right? Is there some piece of equipment that we can get, right, to help make things run smoother? I'm always looking up in the ceilings, right? Are there cables dangling down and things that we need to tidy up or fix? And, and the answer is always yes, right? There's always something to do and something, uh, you know, something we can make better, right? And I think a part of that, if we're being totally honest, is, um, you know, this isn't the, the most beautiful church building you've ever been to, right? I mean, it's, it's awesome, and the Lord is using it, and we're so grateful for it, but uh, I kind of feel bad about it sometimes, uh, but the Lord has been showing me something this year, and it's, it's that even though it's not the most beautiful thing on the outside, it's, it's beautiful because what the Lord is doing on the inside, right? His Word is being preached. Uh, he's being enthroned on the praises of His people here here, right? Every week. Um, and he's moving uh, in people's lives, right? There's salvations every week. Uh, people are raising their hands, you know, to receive Jesus into their life. People are coming back to Jesus and, and being baptized. And um, it just reminded me of this verse, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, it says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so that's just something I've been thinking about a lot. And it's something I want to take with me, you know, into the new year, right? As I, as I make my resolutions and I set my goals, right? Those things are all so great. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't want to boast in myself, right? I don't want to boast in what I've been able to make of my own life. I want to boast in what the Lord has done in my life, right? I want to boast in, in what he's filled up, this beat up clay jar of my life and what he's done in me and through me. And I just love that there's so much grace in that too. You know, maybe your year didn't go how you planned, right? Maybe you didn't check off all those boxes or do everything you wanted to do. Would you hear this morning that Jesus loves you? He forgives you. And if you just let him into your life, if you let that treasure into your clay jar, he will make your life beautiful too. Happy New Year.
Well, there you have it. All those great teachings, man. Shane, I love that last one, man. There is beauty when God is at work in us too. I love that. I love that. Mission Church, I love you. I'll see you next Sunday, Saturday night. We got that pizza party. Don't miss it. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.